0: Acts chapter 8 verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. So chapter 7 was all about Stephen being stoned, and Saul actually was the head Pharisee who was overseeing the stoning of Stephen. And so this is actually the origin story of Saul, who we know became Paul the Apostle. Before he was Paul the Apostle and knew Jesus, he was a religious Pharisee and actually quite a horrible person. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles the church in Jerusalem was growing and gaining favor and more people were converting and becoming christians and following jesus and the pharisees and the religious people they were losing control of the people and they were losing power and they hated it they were very jealous of the church They were trying to destroy the church. They obviously had to be quite careful because they were still under Rome and the control of Rome. So they couldn't just act independently and do whatever they want. However, their anger and rage had boiled over now. And so from that day, they unleashed this great persecution against the church. And Paul is spearheading that persecution. And we see that the church basically gets dispersed and they get scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stay. And actually, this is a little bit ironic because Jesus had told the apostles to preach the gospel starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. But they had literally just stayed in Jerusalem preaching the gospel and kind of forgotten about the rest of the Great Commission. And so I don't believe that the persecution was God doing it, But he used it to actually get the message out. And so whether the apostles were meant to stay or if they should have gone as well, it's not really for us to say. But what happened is that they stayed behind and the rest of the church got scattered. And then verse two, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so we see this great persecution now coming against the church. And so this might have looked really bad, but actually Jesus turned this around for good because we know that as they went, they in fact preached the gospel and saw many amazing things. Verse four, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. He is one of the seven deacons that were appointed in the church of Jerusalem. And he too, like Stephen, was a man full of the spirit, full of faith, full of the power of God. And he was also scattered in the persecution. And he went down to Samaria and was preaching the gospel. And he didn't just preach the gospel, but he actually demonstrated the gospel because Jesus isn't just a theory. He is a living reality and he doesn't just have the power to save you. He has the power to heal you and set you free. And he doesn't just have the power to heal you and set you free. He also has the power to save you. And so when they saw the mighty works, they actually paid close attention to what they were saying. And it's so wonderful. So many people were being healed and set free and delivered. And it says that there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And so Philip is doing all these mighty signs and wonders. People are getting healed, set free, and the crowds are turning to Jesus. They're putting their faith in Christ. They're getting baptized into Christ. And there's great joy in that city. Then there is this guy named Simon, who is a magician. And people consider him great in that city. And they listen to him. They pay close attention to him. All of a sudden, he gets upstaged. By Philip, who actually comes in with real miracles and real magic, because I believe Simon actually is a fraud. He's an illusionist, he's a fake, and he knows it because when he sees the real miracles, it says he was amazed. No doubt he's amazed because he's actually never seen real miracles. He knows he's a fraud. He probably doesn't even believe there's a thing, such a thing as real miracles. And then he sees them and he's amazed. And these are actually greater miracles than anything he's probably been able to do. So people are following after Philip and perhaps not following after Simon anymore. And why would they want to follow Simon if Simon doesn't have these kinds of miracles? And so anyway, he also becomes a believer and follows after Philip. But I actually believe he's a false convert and he's not actually doing it for the right reasons. And a bit later, you'll see that is confirmed. to see what is happening here because this will help us to understand baptism in the Holy Spirit versus baptism into Christ. There are a number of different baptisms that the Bible talks about and here you can see two very distinct baptisms. These Samaritans had received Christ, they believed in Jesus and they had been baptized into Christ but they hadn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. And so this shows us that being born again and being baptized in the Holy Spirit are two different occasions, two different events. They're two separate and distinct things. And just because you've been born again doesn't mean you've been baptized in the Spirit. Now, in order to be baptized in the Spirit, you have to be first born again. But just because you're born again doesn't necessarily mean you've been baptized in the Spirit. They are two separate Events now that can happen at the same time. You can receive Jesus and at the very same time be filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. We see that happening in Acts chapter ten at Cornelius's house. They listening to Peter preaching the gospel and they believing what he was saying. As they listening, they must have got born again because the Holy Spirit falls on them and they all are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So at the point of faith in Christ, they actually also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But some people make the mistake of saying that anyone who is born again is also baptized with the Spirit. But that is not true. As we see in this case, these Samaritans, they were born again, but they were not yet baptized in the Spirit. And so why didn't Philip just baptize them in the Spirit? I'm not quite sure. But anyway, they call for the apostles in Jerusalem to come up And they pray for the people, lay hands on them, and they all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just very important to see that very clear distinction because it's very important for the church and for believers to be baptized in the Spirit. And Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Spirit. And those believers, they were actually born again. They had believed and been saved, but they hadn't yet been filled with the Spirit And so they waited in Jerusalem, and on the day of Pentecost, they were all baptized in the Spirit. And so that's actually two very clear examples of how you can be born again, but not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, and here in Samaria. And so this is important, because every believer should be filled with the Spirit. Now, you don't need to be baptized in the Spirit in order to be saved. It's not baptism in the Spirit that saves you, it's baptism into Christ that saves you. And that's what it said They hadn't been baptized in the spirit yet. They'd only been baptized into Christ. Now, that actually isn't speaking of water baptism. That is speaking about spiritual baptism into Christ. And that happens through faith in Christ. As you have faith in Christ, you are actually united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is actually considered baptism into Christ. And water baptism is just something that we do as an act of obedience to symbolize what has taken place in our spiritual baptism into Christ. Where we go down in the water, it's significant of being buried with Christ, and we come up out of the water, which is symbolic of being raised up into new life with Christ. And we'll see that the early church did actually practice water baptism, but it's important to know that water baptism doesn't save us. It is baptism into Christ through faith that saves us. And then once you are born again, baptized into Christ, then you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now that can happen at the same time, like in Acts chapter 10, but it doesn't always happen when you get born again, like in Acts chapter 8 and in Acts chapter 2. And it's just very important to see that distinction. A lot of people don't see that distinction, but it's actually very clear here in the scriptures. And so if you haven't been filled with the Spirit, then you really should be filled with the Spirit. And I've actually got videos on YouTube that will teach you all about that and actually guide you through in how to be filled with the Spirit. Now, watch what happens with this Simon character. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so, Simon, he was amazed at all these signs and wonders. And he's discovered that the source of it, the power behind it, is the Holy Spirit. And so now he's wanting to acquire this special power. And perhaps his motives are pure and innocent. Or perhaps he's just wanting to add this to his magic trick. And actually put some real power into his magic show. And he's thinking he can buy it with money, which actually exposes something is wrong in his heart. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And so I truly believe that Simon was not born again. He wasn't a true convert. He was a false convert. And so Peter is very good at recognizing false converts and false motives like Ananias and Sapphira. And it didn't end well for them. And so I believe Peter can recognize that Simon here as well is a false convert. His heart hasn't changed and his desire for the Holy Spirit is not coming from a pure, genuine motive. It's actually corrupt motive. And ultimately, it's probably because he wants to make money from the gift. That's what he was doing before. And if his heart hasn't changed, then that is what he's going to be doing with the gift once he receives it. And Peter recognizes this and he calls him on it. And he's saying, may your money perish with you. Now, he wouldn't say that to a born-again believer. That is someone who is unsaved. He says, you have no part or lot in what is taking place here. In other words, all these other people are getting born again. They're getting filled with the Spirit. They are taking part of it. But Simon, you are not. And so even though it appears like he was, he actually isn't. And Peter says, your heart is not right before God then he says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. And so some people, they try to apply this verse to believers, to born again believers. They say, you know, Simon, he was a believer and he sinned. And so now Peter says, you need to repent of that sin and ask God to forgive you. And so people try to use the scripture to say, believers, if you sin, you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness. But actually you need to realize that there is a context to this and that Peter is not talking to a born-again believer. He's talking to a false convert, a false believer who actually didn't truly repent and turn to Christ and therefore his sins are not actually forgiven. Because the reality is once you repent and turn to Christ and get born again, you receive the forgiveness of all of your sins past, present and future. And so yes, we shouldn't sin. But if, as a believer, you do sin, you don't run to God begging for forgiveness. In other words, asking him for something that he's already given you. You come to God and you apologize, you acknowledge your sin, but you thank him for the grace of God. You thank him for his forgiveness. You thank him that even that sin you committed is already covered in the blood of Jesus and it's already been washed away and it's already been forgiven in Christ. And I know this is hard for a lot of the church to accept, but born again believers don't actually need to ask for forgiveness? Because you've actually already been forgiven of sin. And if you've already been forgiven, how can you ask God for something he's already given you? And that is the reality of the matter. And I know that that sounds like blasphemy in the church, but it is the truth. And when you look at the new covenant, the new covenant really supports what I'm saying. And so it's very important to realize Peter's not speaking to a born again believer. This scripture cannot be applied to a born again believer. Repent and then God will forgive you of your sins. Because a lot of people misapply the scripture in the body of Christ. We must apply the scripture in its true context. And that is Peter talking to a false believer who hasn't turned to Christ, who hasn't been forgiven of their sins. And the next verse just shows us how unsaved this guy is. Verse 23, Peter says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And so Peter wouldn't say that to a born again believer, especially not one of these new converts. You're in the bond of iniquity. that, that, That is someone who is a child of disobedience, a son of disobedience. That is someone who is not saved in the gall of bitterness. You haven't truly repented and been born again and forgiven of all your sins and God's changed your heart. You're still an unbeliever who is lost and you actually need to repent and turn to God properly. And so then perhaps Simon has a heart change. He's convicted by Peter's words. And so he says in verse 24, Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that none of what you have said may come upon me. So who knows whether Simon truly got born again. The point is his heart wasn't right. He thought he could buy the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is a gift. There is no money in the world that's enough to purchase the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so, Peter and John, they had baptized many people in the Holy Spirit, and they had obviously spent some time. Preaching the gospel and perhaps laying some foundations into what was probably budding as a church, turning into a church. It seems that's how things happen in the New Testament. People preach the gospel with signs and wonders, massive amounts of people got saved, and churches were formed out of it. And so these apostles were actually laying in some foundations into this early church. Then they head back to Jerusalem, and on the way, they stop in all the villages and the towns preaching the gospel. No doubt, with signs and wonders, many people getting saved. And then they head back to Jerusalem. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So, this was an Ethiopian man. He was a eunuch. That means he was castrated, and that was for a purpose because he was a servant of the Queen Candace of the Ethiopians. He was a court official. He was someone who was with Candace and serving her and helping her and he was obviously just very high up he had his own chariot he was in charge of all her treasury and so he's obviously a very important man who actually would have had a lot of influence with Candace the queen so him getting saved would actually be very strategic in the gospel also going to Candace and the queen of Ethiopia and ultimately spreading into Ethiopia and so the Holy Spirit has got a plan here This man had come up to Jerusalem to worship. So perhaps somewhere along the line, he had become a convert to Judaism. And so he was making a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And on his way back, he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. But we'll see. He wasn't really understanding it. Verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. It's quite amazing. I mean, Philip would have been a total stranger. And yet he invites him into his chariot to come and explain what he's reading. Philip clearly was a man full of the spirit who followed the spirit. He was very spirit led. And this is just a classic example of being spirit led. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. That's very much like Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, he met some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says, beginning in Moses and all through the prophets, he opened up the scriptures that concerned him. And it says that their eyes were opened and they understood. And here, this Ethiopian eunuch that was no doubt a convert to Judaism, so he had read the scriptures, but he had never seen the scriptures. He didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Here, Philip actually begins to open up the scriptures and show him how they reveal Jesus and that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things so that he could actually repent and turn away from works and dead works and Moses and law keeping and having to go to the temple to try to make yourself righteous and turn away from those things and actually turn to Christ, the very one who Philip is helping him to see and who is the fulfillment of the very scriptures that he's reading. And so he obviously receives Christ and gets born again because verse 36 says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him so here you can see water baptism and perhaps philip had spoken to him about these different baptisms and so they're traveling along the road and they see some water and the eunuch says well why shouldn't i get baptized now and so philip and the eunuch actually go down into the water philip baptizes him he doesn't just dribble a little bit of water on his head he actually baptizes him in the water there's no such thing as dribbling a bit of water on your head in the scriptures the scriptures talk about full submersion and this is going down into the water full submersion because it's symbolic of being buried with christ and being raised up with christ drizzling water on someone's head or on a baby's head infant baptism christening that's actually not in the bible it's not in the scriptures because that doesn't symbolize anything Water baptism symbolizes being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. And it's a physical, outward symbol of what has taken place inside your heart, inside your spirit. You've been spiritually baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so you physically symbolize that on the outside. And so here we can actually see water baptism is in the scriptures. And this is different to. Old Testament ceremonial cleansing in that. This is new covenant baptism. And it's not baptism in water that cleanses you. It's baptism into Christ that cleanses you. And that's what saves you. Water baptism is simply just a symbol to symbolize what has actually happened in spiritual baptism. Then verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So this is amazing. This is absolutely supernatural. As he comes up out of the water, the spirit takes Philip, carries him off to Azotus, which is many miles away from where they were. This is literally Philip being teleported in the spirit realm from one location to another, and it is totally supernatural. And I believe it. I believe this literally happened because I believe the Bible. Can I prove that it happened? No. It's pretty hard to actually prove it either way, other than we have the Word of God. And I believe the Word of God, and so I believe this happened. And, I mean, we know that after Jesus rose from the dead... He would appear in different places when he exited the tomb. He had left the tomb, but the stone was still there and sealed, and the angels rolled it back, and they went in, and he wasn't there. So he'd left it before. Either he walked straight through the door, or he teleported to somewhere else. There was times when his disciples were in a room, they had the doors locked, and all of a sudden, he just appeared in front of them, and they were amazed, and they worshipped him. And so I don't believe that this is so far-fetched to happen. I mean, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God of the miraculous. Jesus did mighty miracles, signs and wonders. Philip went to Samaria, did mighty signs and wonders, and he was being led by the Spirit, and he was just a man of the supernatural, full of power, full of the Spirit, full of faith. And here the Holy Spirit just took him from one place to another, The spirit, and it's amazing, it's awesome, and so this is a really amazing thing that happened to Philip. And so, Philip just finds himself in Azotus, and so what does he do? He just starts preaching the gospel in every town he goes to until he reaches Caesarea. Philip, we would call an amazing man of God, and yet he is just a normal believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, These signs will follow them who believe, and so. Philip was just a believer in Christ, and he went around laying his hands on the sick, healing the sick, driving out demons, and he was just fulfilling the great commission of Christ. And Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he was just moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was being led by the Spirit, going all over the place, taking the gospel with him. And so the book of Acts is pretty awesome. It's full of miracles, signs and wonders. You see the church being birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit and moving in signs and wonders, people getting saved, added. Then it was supposed to not just stay in Jerusalem, but to go out and they kind of kept it there and persecution we see breaks out and the church is scattered. And as it's scattered, you see the gospel starting to go out into the surrounding areas And so just through the life of Philip, we've already seen the gospel going to Samaria and the surrounding parts of Judea, but soon we're going to see it going even beyond that through the life of Paul. But first, he's got to get saved. Hey, this is Ryan Rufus, and I hope you enjoyed this last chapter. Could I ask if you've been blessed by the Grace Bible Commentary, would you consider making a donation to New Nature Ministries to help support the ongoing work of the Grace Bible Commentary? That would be greatly appreciated. To do that, simply go to newnatureministries.org. Thank you and God bless.